Our reading, The Resurrection of Christ, comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, the first 11 verses. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I receive I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. In a few moments you're going to listen to David and Lydia talking about their faith in the risen Lord Jesus and giving testimony to that faith by getting baptised. Brilliant that you're both taking the step on Easter Sunday morning. After 2,000 years, the message that Paul proclaimed and said he preached in Corinth is still being proclaimed and it's still touching people's lives and changing them. How come? Paul says this good news is about how Jesus can save us if we believe, if we nail our colours to the mast, and if we stay the course until the end. But can, can believing a message, particularly a message that is 2,000 years old, really make an impact on our lives, on the lives of young and old in 21st century Horsham? I was down in Brighton yesterday, went into Waterstones and looked at the, the lines of shelving on um, self-help. And you can understand why kind of believing in yourself might have an impact on your life because you can achieve so much more if you've got confidence that you can do stuff. But the good news about Jesus is not about self-help. It's not about building up your self-confidence at all. It's about putting your trust in someone else. And that's a big step and not an easy thing to do. But sometimes our lack of self-confidence goes too deep just to be overcome by a bit of positive thinking. And sometimes that lesson can be learned the hard way on the basis of the experience that actually I am fundamentally untrustworthy and putting confidence in myself isn't going to get me very far. But the whole language of salvation, Paul talks about being saved, implies the need for somebody else to save us. You can't save yourself. Being rescued means somebody else needs to come in and save you. Sometimes we experience a crisis that's of our own making. 
Sometimes it's down to circumstances that have gone wrong. Sometimes it's what somebody else has said and done. Sometimes we need to be rescued because we've got lost. We've gone down the wrong path in life somewhere along the line and we can't find the way back. Or we just feel that things are slipping out of control or we're losing the ability to cope. Or maybe, and even the strongest and most capable of us all face this one one day, because we know that we're going to die and there's nothing we can do about it. For anyone in any of these situations, the message of Jesus is good news because it is by believing in him and putting our trust in him that we can be saved, rescued, restored, made whole. On Land Rovers around Horsham from time to time, I I see signs on the windscreen, one life, live it. And I like that motto. It's a good attitude to life. We, We do only get one life. We only get one crack at this. There are no dummy runs. There are no prototypes that we can try out beforehand. You can't do it virtually and just see how it's going to work and figure out all the pitfalls and then do the real thing afterwards. We are born into whatever situation we find ourselves. If we're lucky, we have parents who will give us a head start, a good head start. But lots of people don't begin with that kind of advantage. But it's down to us as we go up, as we pass through teenagers into adulthood, as we go on to maturity and old age, to make something worthwhile of this one life that we have. I saw a little card the other day with a text on. I think it's the Women's Evening Fellowship motto for this year. Who you are is God's gift to you. What you become is your gift back to God. That's the problem though, isn't it? What if my gift back to God isn't turning out as well as I would have hoped? It would be brilliant to be able to give God a neatly wrapped package of success and achievement and say, this is what I've done with the life that you've given me. I'm really proud of it, aren't you? Some of us might be able to do that from time to time. But what if what we have is is poorly constructed and it's unfinished and it's spoilt in a dozen different ways that I can't airbrush away or repair or make right? Because you can't just go out and buy another one and say, have this one instead. It's the only one we've got. And the problem with my life being my gift to God is that if I make a mess of it, I can't just start all over again. If our lives are like a blank canvas, we can't just tear it down, rip it up and begin afresh. My life is the only canvas there is and I'm working on it with oils or permanent ink. I can't go back and rewrite my mistakes or erase my past. What's done is done. I am who I am because of what I've said and done and because of what others have said and done to me. And whatever raw material God started out with in my life, it's been shaped and moulded in a thousand different ways, sometimes by me, sometimes by others, sometimes to enhance it, more often perhaps to deface and spoil it. God sees and knows all this. Whatever pretty wrapping paper we use to conceal what's underneath, we can't hide it from him. But that is precisely why 
he sent his son to die for our sins and to rise again from the dead, as Paul puts it in the letter. Because we cannot change our past, because who we have become is out of our hands, God sent his son to release us from the effects of our past and to change us from the inside out. The language of being saved focuses on past, present and future. We are saved from the past in the sense that God's forgiveness releases us from that. Our past does not determine our future. Jesus can change the direction of our lives. We know that we've kind of been walking down the wrong path. He can change the focus and send us a different way. He saves us in the present in the sense that Jesus can make a difference to who I am. In another letter, Paul says, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, the risen Jesus, taking control of my life and changing me from the inside out, putting us under new management. And lastly, we're saved from the future, in the sense that the final outcome of our lives need not be darkness, futility and death, but resurrection, life for eternity in the presence of God. That's the good news of Easter. And it sounds okay in theory, but when you, when you realise that it really is for you, and it can impact on your life, in terms of releasing you from the past, putting you under new management in the present, changing the outcome of your life in the future, then it is the best news imaginable that God should think your life worth saving and sent his son to do precisely that for you. Faith isn't just believing all this happened. It's believing that it can make a difference to me. Christ died for our sins, says Paul, and rose again according to the scriptures. His death can make a difference because in the plan and purpose of God it was for our sins that Jesus died. Let's make no mistake, although as Christians we we honour the symbol of the cross... Thousands upon thousands of nameless individuals suffered death by crucifixion in the ancient world. Countless people were crucified. But only one rose from the dead again. And that's what set Jesus apart. He died the death of a common criminal, but on the third day his tomb was empty and his followers rightly deduced that he'd been raised from the dead because he kept appearing to them all over the place again and again. And Jesus had said this would happen, but they'd been slow to believe him because it is a bit incredible, isn't it? The Son of Man will be given over to the rulers and crucified on the third day rise again. How do you take that on board if, if it's never happened in your experience? But when the tomb was empty on the third day, and when they started to see him here, there and everywhere, showing them the marks of the nails in his hands and feet, the hole in his side where he'd been stabbed with a spear, even the most sceptical of them was persuaded. What he said would happen, did happen. And the figure in front of them was no ghost, no phantom, no spirit, but the same Jesus whom they'd seen crucified, now alive and breathing. Resurrection life in him. Even the Apostle Paul, who had once been an ardent persecutor of the followers of Jesus, was convinced when the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. 
And the thing is, once they were convinced about his resurrection, they started to think a bit more deeply about stuff he'd said before his death. Things like the Son of Man, the name Jesus used to refer to himself. The Son of Man came to die to set people free. To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did precisely that. Coming to live and die and rise again, to set us free from our past, to release us from the person that we've been turning into over these past years. And while we can never rewrite our past, the death of Jesus for our sins means that God can and does sponge our mistakes away. And the power of Jesus' resurrection can impact on us to bring about a release from the past and change the whole direction of our lives, turning away from self-destructive patterns of behaviour that lead us away from God and towards darkness and death, turning us instead towards light and life, giving us the will and the desire and the ability to do what is right, to be a different person with the power of Christ. His living presence in our hearts making that difference. To recognise that Jesus died for me is liberating in the sense that it assures me of God's love. It promises me that I am not beyond God's redemption. And to realise that God raised the body of Jesus from the grave after he'd been tortured and abused to death means that it's never too late. Things have never gone too far for God to raise us to life as well. Even a life that's been scarred and wounded can be renewed with the same resurrection power that God used to raise his son from the grave. And if I declare that Jesus is Lord, that means accepting that Jesus comes into my life. He takes charge. He works with me and within me to create a gift that can be offered to God. My life as a present that will rejoice and gladden his heart. How can believing the good news of Jesus make a difference to me? Quite simply because Christ died for my sin and rose again to be my Lord. To set me free and claim me as God's greatest treasure and make something better of my life. And it's true for you as well. Because he died for your sin. Rose again to be your Lord. He claims you as God's most treasured possession. He wants to make something better of your life. I've been doing this job for nearly 30 years now. And if I didn't know, if I didn't see the good news of Jesus Christ making a difference in people's lives in the present, I would have packed this job in a long time ago. But the reason I'm still here proclaiming this message this morning is because it still makes a difference. It still has power to bring new life to the life of anybody who is prepared to put their trust in Christ. And it works because in the death and resurrection of his son, God entered our God-forsakenness to bring us into his life-giving presence. So this morning I take my stand on Paul's words. This is the gospel by which you can be saved if you hold firmly to it. The good news is that God sent his son to die and rise again to save you. You can't save yourself, none of us can. But you can believe that your life is worth saving. Jesus can turn your life around. Give your life to him and see what he will do. The good news is for everyone, old, young, lifelong churchgoers and those who haven't the dark on the door of a church in decades. I've said enough. 
God has done enough to save you. Jesus lays claim to your life. What will your response be? Is it to give your life to him for the first time? To get baptised? To come back to him? To ask him to renew you because you know you've been drifting? Jesus is Lord, is the earliest Christian confession. And they said it because God raised his son from the dead to be Lord of their lives and Lord of yours. Will you believe and put your trust in him as Lydia and David have done and will testify this morning?